You're listening to Good Poetry, the podcast about exactly that. My name is Andrew Coons. Today I'm interviewing Quinn Bailey, who is a naturalist, a wildlife tracker, and a poet. He hails from the state of Washington, and his debut collection of poetry is coming out this summer. It's called The Currents of the World. Quinn is a guy with a great origin story of how he came to be a writer and a poet. I'm excited to share it with you. So Quinn, thank you for joining the podcast for a conversation today. I'm very excited to chat with you and uh, talk about your upcoming book, The Currents of the World. Um, Just to kind of give us a little bit of background, can you tell us a bit about yourself and maybe how you got started writing poetry? What inspired you to, to take this path with your writing? Yeah, my journey to being a poet um, was not very straightforward. I can remember growing up and poetry wasn't really in my, in my life in any sort of way. Um, but I do remember uh, taking an English class in high school and reading the, um, the poem We Wear the Masks by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And that poem just really struck me, and it, it still does to this day. And I think because it was the first time I saw how poetry can really speak to um, our internal struggles and what's going on inside of us. And that's been a common theme, uh, I think, in my own writing. Uh, so I remember at that time I, I wrote um, I wrote some poems and was inspired by that and got some good feedback and teachers liked it and that kind of stuff. Um, and so there was sort of some motivation there. But then I also remember, as I think often happens at that time in life, my sort of like authentic identity that wanted to like write poetry came into conflict with like my social identity, which was like, oh, writing poetry is not cool. And so I, I totally like suppressed that part of myself and that desire, um, which I don't think is an uncommon thing um, to happen. Um, and so I do think though that sort of my, my love of, of poet, poetry and poetic speech kind of went underground and I, I, I started you know, it kind of it stayed alive in writing songs, and I was in some bands, and like was into the music thing, and and found a lot of inspiration from um, from songwriters. You know, Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell, and also some more contemporary writers like um, Sam Beam and Bon Iver and those kinds of of folks. Um, so that was kind of my early relationship to poetry. And then, like, fast forward a couple years, you know, I'm 23. I was a little bit lost, kind of in this wandering phase. And I, I ended up doing a solo bike trip down the West Coast. And um, through that, I, I had like an, an actual epiphany where I was biking up this hill this one day. And like my, like this, this idea popped into my head of like, like being out in nature has been my constant passion throughout my life. It's been the, the most constant passion in my life. And it had never like occurred to me that that could be a career, right? That that could be a thing I do with my life. And like my high school guidance counselor just never mentioned that, you know? (laughs) So, so I, I looked for places where I could do that. And I found this amazing school called the Wilderness Awareness School that happened to be in Washington, where I grew up and where I now live. Um, And I, I enrolled with them. And it was this year long immersive experience where we're going out and we're you know, learning how to live off the land. We're building shelters out of natural material, learning to build fires, learning what you can eat and what you can't eat, um, learning how to track animals, you know, kind of practicing these very old um, ancestral human skills, you might say. Um, 
And through those experiences, my, my mentors in that program were really highly skilled at using poetry at like peak moments to either sort of reflect on some experience we've just had or to drop us into an experience we are about to have. Um, and I think, you know, that is one of the powers of poetry is it really is consciousness altering. And I think often we think of that term in association with like substances, but I really do think that like after reading a poem that, that speaks to you, you look at the world differently. Um, so, so anyway, so back to, so I'm in that experience and they are sharing, you know, a lot of poetry by Mary Oliver and David White and William Stafford and, and a number of other Rilke, another number of other um, poets. And so I just like fell back in love. Like that poetry spoke to me so on such a deep level that I just like fell back in love with with poetry and sort of remembered that, you know, reading Paul Lawrence Dunbar and, and that, that um, the spark that came from that. And so at the end of that program, I sat down to write um, something completely different. Just, uh, just sat down to write, and this poem came out of me. It was just like, it was like read, read, ready at the tap, like just waiting for the tap to open. Um, and it just came out, and there was such a feeling of like, oh, like this is something that I do now. You know, like I write poetry and that it was so clear. Um, and, you know, it was like six months before I wrote another poem. And then it was like, you know, four months after that. But that was like seven years ago. And I've just been kind of slowly writing more and more. Um, so now I live in Washington and I, I, I write poetry, but also I now work for that same organization, uh, the Wilderness Awareness School. Um, so that's kind of how I fill my time, a lot of time in nature and, and, and writing poetry when I can. That's awesome. I think it's interesting what you said about, you know, the way they would use poetry for specific moments and it can be conscious altering. And, you know, there was that one poem that stuck out to you in high school. Cause I, I think the theme for me is this idea that, you know, there's a lot of media and mediums out there that are kind of like background noise. You know, I might turn on a TV show that I just let play in the background or there's music that I just let play in the background. Poetry, not so much. Um, not that you can't have kind of background poetry, I suppose, if you wanted, but it, it does seem to be more of a, hey, you need to sit up and listen to this type of experience. But that I, I, I love that idea of poetry being something that you have to interact with um, and you have to, to, to kind of bring yourself to the table and, and meet it halfway. Um, what, what have you found as you've started to write more poetry and maybe have, you know, inundate yourself with it more and more than you did in the past. How has your perspective on it, your love for it, the type of poetry you like, how has that grown over the last, you know, however long? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think that in some ways, like the poets that I still love haven't changed much. But I think I've just had a deepening of of understanding a little bit more about about form and things like that, like appreciation of that. I think in the beginning it was a lot more just about, you know, having you know these experiences and having poems that I could relate to. And I noticed that as I've written more, I have more of an appreciation of sort of the the art form of it, not just how it impacts me. Although I do think ultimately that's the most important thing. Um, the other thing that it's, that I've realized is because I agree with what you said about poetry. Um, yeah, poetry just being something that that it's it's it requires a lot of attention. Like you have to be there and and read it. And I've noticed that as I I read more and more, it's almost like a muscle that I that I flex. You know, yeah, that that 
I, that we don't flex often, unfortunately, um, is that be paying attention. And so that's really grown as I've, I have the ability to sit with and like read a whole book of poetry or, or like, you know, really get through some of these longer poems and let them sit and think about what they're saying. Because I think, yeah, poetry, it's, there's so much poetry out there in the world. And I think the like, the, the range of poetry that a, a certain person likes is generally pretty narrow. So the chances that you're going to find poetry that like aligns with the poetry that you like is, is actually kind of small. Like you really got to look for it. Um, so I feel like my capacity to, to, to stick with poems has grown definitely. And then also I think another thing that comes out of that is I so much more appreciate having context. I realize how important context is for poems. Like I can read a couple of poems and they don't really speak to me, but then I learn a little more about the author and sort of the time period they lived in or the things they went through and that kind of stuff. And um, it changes the poems for me. And it's really highlighted how important context is. And I think one of the problems with poetry is that we often get it out of context, like, and we're not sure like who these people are. And, and yeah, it's interesting how to, how to navigate that as a poet. And then the, the other, the flip side of it, I think also though, is that like there's certain poems that are so, that speak to you on such a level that you don't need any context. Like that's the interesting sort of like uh, dynamic there, I think, is that it's, like poetry is enhanced by context, but also there's certain poems that just like, doesn't matter the context, they just hit you at the right time in the right moment. And it's exactly what you need to hear. Yeah. Well, before we go any farther, I'd love to, here you read one of your poems. Great. Yeah, I'll read. Um, this is the, the Currents of the World, which is the title of my forthcoming book and is um, also happens to be the poem that came out of me when I sat down, you know, seven years ago. This was the one. You are adrift, floating on a vast ocean, clinging to your little piece of the wreckage for what could have been forever. Until... One day, as you crest yet another wave, it is there in the distance. How did you not see it before? Has it always been there, softly calling your name? You turn and for the first time in your life kick, fighting against the swell, fighting until your muscles burn and your own name means nothing. But you get no closer, so you keep fighting, your piece of that long-forgotten shipwreck held up like a shield. You fight until the salt water mixes with the blood in your mouth, and you wish your bones would just break already. Still, you are no closer. It is in that moment you realize, if you wish to continue, you must let go of that which has kept you safe on the surface all these years. With the deepest gratitude, you slip below and let the currents of the world take you. I think context is very important for this poem. For me, having read it once before as I was preparing for this conversation, and now to know where you were, your journey, that this was the first poem that came out of you as you took your first steps, this means completely different things to me now than it did the first time I read it. Yeah. But I think also to the to the point about context not always being needed for a poem to hit you, right? I did get a lot out of this the first time I read it and brought my own experiences to it. Um, there was, you know, and I, I think this is an interesting 
part where sometimes when I read something too fast, I'll misinterpret certain words and whatnot. And I read this one twice originally. The first time I was like, oh, this is about birth. Mm. This is about, um, you know, this is like some like in making an analogy between, you know, floating in a shipwreck and being born, like physically being born. Uh-huh. And then I read it again. And I was like, mm, not quite. Uh, but there's elements of birth to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're being reborn into a sense of new purpose or uh, into a sense of, of that gratitude and that giving up of control. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think this poem, it spoke to a lot of where I was at at that moment. And yeah, that idea of surrender. The like, yeah. yeah. And also this idea that there's things, there's parts of yourself that are sort of calling to you constantly, but often it's too quiet for us to hear. And then you know, hopefully in your life, something happens that allows you to suddenly hear that voice. And it's like, oh, that's something you orient on and you know you really want it and you you go for it. But you ultimately find out that, you know, this like really going after it isn't actually what's needed. And it's actually the surrendering into, you know, whatever it is that the world is asking of you at that time. I think that to me is a theme across a lot of poetry that's maybe more nature based. And I think to me, a lot of that comes from the fact that just, you know, each of us is a small person living in a very big world. And as much as we want to think we have control, you know, the minute it starts snowing outside and it drops to 20 below in the winter, it's like, you realize, oh, I don't know. I'm not in control of anything. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I think a common theme throughout, like, a lot of my poetry is that idea of, of how does your how does the external landscape um you know affect your internal landscape and vice versa how is your internal landscape then reflected out on the external landscape and that i find that a lot of the poetry that i really love has some theme of that and it also comes through in my writing of yeah the effects of of the natural world because i've heard it said that the natural world is the only thing complex enough to reflect back our own our own beauty and our own complexity and I just love that idea. Like it sort of is the, and this I think is at the root of a lot of the work that I do, you know, outside of poetry is this idea that the natural world is sort of the original medium with which we went to for self-discovery and self-reflection. Yeah. Well, and I think that whether you, whether you look at it from a humanist standpoint or a religious standpoint or, or what have you, you know, that idea of the balance between man and nature, I mean... I th- we all remember being in school and what are the different types of conflict, man versus man, man versus society, man versus nature. Like it is a, you know, it's a, it's a central theme to storytelling uh, in our lives. And I think it's because it is one of the things that we, you know, we live in a society now where for a lot of us, if we're, you know, especially if we're living more in cities or in suburbs, you know, we maybe don't have that con- that direct connection to nature in the way that our ancestors might have. Um, but you know we're still just trying to tame something that is that is truly untamable. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting the whole the living in the city part. I've been living in Seattle for the last year after spending most of my life living out, you know, closer to the to the wild places and yeah, it's it's interesting to I think that wildness can be found in the cities, but it is it takes a little more attention. It takes a little bit more um yeah, a little bit more seeking it out and, and looking for it in the, in the in-between spaces. Uh, but it is there. I think it is there. And, and yeah, like you were saying, I think it is, it's a common theme we find in a lot of, a lot of the stories that we hear. And I, I like, I think something I like about the um, sort of 
some ideas that were passed on to me was this idea that like the for the the actual maturation of the human soul like we need we need the natural world there as as a part of it like i, I think there's no recipe for what creates like a, a a soulful human i think but i do know that like nature is an important ingredient in that in some sense you know however you find it whether it's in the city or or in the woods how have you seen maybe some of your more recent writings uh, change or grow with the fact that you are now living in Seattle? Um, you know, you talk about those outside influences affecting you internally and then how that comes back out. I'm just curious, uh, have you noticed a shift at all? I have, yeah. It's it's One, I notice more poems about that longing for, for wildness and being out in the woods or, or deep appreciation for it when I am out there. Like, it's definitely, it's funny how, like, contrast will often bring up, you know, more gratitude. Um, but then also there is a, a couple poems where some themes of, like, urban, more urban themes will come through or, or different images that maybe I wouldn't get, you know, you wouldn't get out in the woods. Um will come through in my writing, definitely. Um, and then also just seeing, yeah, just feeling the difference between living in the city versus living in the woods and the, the pace of life and and how people interact with you. Um, yeah, it definitely comes through in some of my more recent writing as well. Awesome. Well, I'd love to hear another poem uh, from your upcoming book. Great, yeah, I'll read... Um... This is a good one. It has a little bit to do with, with that idea of sort of bringing the wildness wherever you go. And uh, it's called Carrying Coals. I think often of the before times, when we roamed in small bands and fire was our constant companion. Of those diligent keepers who, though the wind and rain were indifferent and the prowling uncertainties lurked always in the darkness, and at times even the dream of warmth seemed forbidden, carried with them that little glow, tenderly wrapped in a nest of bark and mosses, waiting for a steady hand, a patient breath, to bring us back to life. Curious what your thoughts are on what are, what are we carrying now? What are, what are the, what's the modern coals that we're carrying that we're hoping to bring back to life? Um, I think that that imagery of, of the person, you know, in the before times, as you put it, doing that for survival is very strong, but, you know, for most of us, life isn't like that anymore. Uh, we have everything we need at the touch of a, touch of a button. Uh, it's a very different world, but but I I'm curious. Do you do you feel like we're still carrying something, hoping for it to come back to life? I do. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think that was really the the impetus for writing that poem was this idea of like, yeah, how does that idea of carrying a coal play out in in our modern sort of Western society? And uh, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. I think. One thing is, I think you're right, we live in this time of like, you know, some of us anyway live in a time of extreme sort of comfort and convenience. And I think the trade-off there has been um, a sense of disconnection in a lot of ways. And, and I think for some people, a sense of loneliness 
is pretty pervasive. That kind of comes like I could like like you said, I can meet all of my basic needs um, essentially without really interacting with another human beyond any kind of you know surface level. So I think the coals for me, in one sense, represents you know those those feel those connections we do have and that desire for connection, or maybe you know the feeling of connections we had growing up with family or friends or or a certain landscape or tree or you know whatever whatever you were connected to, um, and how you carry that with you and and that it's still there. You know you can still access that feeling uh, if you're you know willing to be diligent and willing to to bring your attention to it. But I also think there's this idea that was, that I sort of was introduced to, um, the work of a man named Michael Mead, who's a sort of mythologist storyteller. And he, it's an old idea. It's not his idea, but it's, he was the one who, it came through to me. And it's this idea that sort of, we are each carrying, um, each human being is sort of carrying a unique gift of some sort to offer the world. And it's, it has nothing to do with, you know, our job or, or like, yeah, being sort of like a productive in the Western sense of things, but that we each have some sort of unique gift that is wanting to come through us um, and be expressed in the world. And that I think that is something else that we're all carrying. And one of the things about the gift, I think, is that it, it it's hard for us to see our own gift. Like we need other people. We need other people to reflect that to us. And so that's where sort of that idea of like having your, for lack of a better word, village around you, your, your people who can help uh, reflect that to you and help you keep that little coal alive um, as you go through, you know, the day-to-day grind, so to speak. Yeah, and I think that that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. I mean, people are... I mean, I think culture is changing in a very positive way towards, you know, helping people understand their own self-worth, combating, you know, the isolation that has left a lot of people in depression and anxiety and et cetera, et cetera. Um, But at the same time, you know, my friends and I don't necessarily get together and talk about, okay, what's your, what's your spark that you're carrying? What are you trying to bring? You know I mean? It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lofty idea that I think we hunger for, but don't necessarily have in our, our vocabulary. Absolutely. Uh, Day to day vocabulary. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I think is one of the reasons people are attracted to poetry is because yeah. there is poems that do speak to that. That, because I think we have a longing to talk about those things and yeah, you're right. They, it doesn't come up in everyday conversation and maybe that, you know, that's one of the gifts of poetry is to, it can express things that maybe we can't express with everyday language and everyday you know, that come up in everyday conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I think we we have that longing, and and I also think, or at least what I've seen in in my life and and holding these questions of like, yeah, like what are the gifts that people hold, and is that people are hungry for it? They just need a little invitation. They just need, you know. I think really it comes down to safety on on a very base level, like. You know, you have your friends and you think, oh, yeah, I feel safe around my friends. But there's certain things that are scary to reveal because not like in a physically dangerous way, but sort of in an emotional um, way, it feels scary to say, hey, this is something that I care about or this is something that I've been feeling that's sort of on that deeper level. Um, but what I've noticed is that it really, it takes, yeah, an invitation or an all, and that invitation can just look like somebody being willing to speak about those things. Like, right, you see someone else speak about it and it kind of like, oh, lets you know, like, okay, that's, 
that's an okay thing for me to speak about, or like I'm, I'm safe enough here to, to speak these sort of deeper longings of the heart. I want to go deep on that for just a second. I really like where this conversation is, has led us. Um, when we think about that moment of revealing, like, here's my spark, here's my passion, my what I can bring to the world being revealed, and we think about the, the fear that maybe comes with that, do you think it's more a fear of rejection and people going, oh, well, that's ridiculous, you should, or is it more of a fear of accountability? That idea of, if I put this out into the world, if I say this, then people know, and if I don't do it, then I'm going to look like a fool. Right. I th- I think it's I think it's both. I think both of those are definitely at play. Like, yeah, there is some sense of like, oh, you know, it's not going to it's going to be laughed at if I share this part of myself or this longing that I have or this. Yeah, this passion that I have for something. But then also, yeah, like you were saying, I think the flip side is definitely there. Like it's scary to think like, oh, if I reveal this, then I'm then I have to like I've said it to myself and I have to hold myself accountable in that sense. And yeah, that can be really terrifying. But I also think that in some ways, like when you do touch in on sort of your thing or that thing that does, like it's supposed to scare you some, like that's actually supposed to be part of it. Like it should be a little bit scary to like think like, oh, like am I, like it should feel a little bit too big for you to hold actually, you know, it should ask you to be a little bit bigger than you are at the moment. I think that's actually maybe an indicator that you're on the right track. Did you experience that? Uh, you know, when you had your epiphany moment and you had that moment of thinking, okay, I'm going to change the course of my life a little bit to be more in nature, to, to write poetry, all those things. Yeah, there was definitely, there was definitely some of that that came up with sort of stepping into the, the, the nature connection work. Um, not so much when I became a student because that was felt very more safe. Cause like, okay, I'm entering this, you know, kind of beginner's mind thing. But later when I was offered, like, a job working at the organization and how that kind of evolved, yeah, there was definitely this feeling of, like, whoa, like, okay, am I ready for this? Like, it was asking me to be a little bit bigger um, than I than I felt like I was at the time. And then definitely with poetry, that every day that asked me, I feel like that asked me to be a little bit bigger. And, um, yeah, whether it's, you know, writing a new thing or, or, you know, reading poetry somewhere or sharing, you know, every time I share poetry, it feels, it feels vulnerable and and a little nerve wracking for sure. Yeah, no, I experienced that as well. And I think that, um, you know, I, th- I think Instagram poetry and posting things there is something that when I got started helped me kind of get over some of that fear of, uh, what people would think. Cause you just put it out there and it's like, all right, just keep doing that. And eventually you, you know, get some people who like it, some who don't and kind of build that thick skin a little bit. Um, but there, it's funny because no matter how much, you write, you know, how, no matter how much you share, I have not found yet that that nervousness or that anxiety around sharing my, my work goes away. Um, partly because hopefully the things I'm sharing are new each time, uh, or, or evolutions of previous ideas. And so it's, you know, <laughs> I, it's, it's brand new. I don't know how someone was going to react to it all of a sudden. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that also is like it should be that way, you know. If you're depending on what you're writing, like you should be writing the things that feel a little bit, a little bit scary to share, and exciting. Like there should be a balance. I think it should be exciting and scary. Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, would love to hear one one last poem from you. Dream hunt. One night, it will just pass plain in the firelight. That thing you've been hunting for so long 
suddenly right in front of you, unafraid. As if everything, the dogged trailing, the cunning traps, were all just for show. Some elaborate ceremony of the inevitable. And now this, no desperate chase, no revelatory final showdown, just a gentle meeting of eyes, a shared moment of stillness, and a slow turning to fade back into the night. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about Quinn and his upcoming collection of poetry, The Currents of the World, via Instagram or at quinnbailey.com. You can follow Good Poetry on Facebook and Instagram. And until next time, happy reading.